Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, you're in a different place. And for some reason, I just, I get this sense that you may be closer to me somehow. Yes. Okay. So you can feel it here. I am in California and I'm in Southern California. And I think you probably recognize where this is that I am. Uh, it's my childhood bedroom. I'm visiting my parents uh, in Southern California for the week, which is nice. Uh, this is no longer my room. It has since become their cat's room. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just how things go when you have a cat. So uh, happy to be here and closer to you. And I'm sure I'll see you this week. Yeah, no, we're going to for sure hang out and do some stuff. Uh, yes, glad to have you here, and thank you for bringing some cooler weather. That, it's, I was just thinking that. It, it did cool down as soon as I got here. That's really how I knew you were here. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> RJ, RJ's back. The weather cooled off a little. This is nice. Um, all right, so we got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about this week on this episode of The Deep Dive. A lot of fun stuff. Uh, I think we should start, though, with the news that broke just like an hour or so before we started recording this, and that is Morgan Geeky signing uh, with the Seattle Kraken to avoid the arbitration hearing and everything. Uh, one year, $1.4 million deal. Yes, we finally got something that happened right before we recorded, so that's always nice. Uh, but yeah, Morgan Geeky signs a one-year extension, uh, gets out ahead of his arbitration hearing, which was scheduled for August. As expected, you know, these usually end in agreements on a contract before arbitration hits, uh, and this one is no different. Uh, one year at 1.4 mil, it's a pretty nice 86% raise uh, over last year's salary. Uh, you wonder kind of how the arbitration hearing would have gone, because Geeky was an interesting player where not a lot numbers-wise, but you know the organization really respected everything he did defensively and kind of the complete game there. So what do you think of this contract? Yeah, I, I think my first reaction was similar to like what most of uh, the community, at least on Discord, was kind of saying, which was it feels like a lot of money, uh, considering what he brought to the table, times he was scratched last year, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I do think that it's a good kind of prove-it deal. Right. Like we kind of felt like last year was kind of a prove it year, but there was a lot of going on all around and the team as a whole kind of underperformed and everything. So I get the idea of bringing him back on like another kind of more true prove it deal, uh, which this is with the one year term. Is it a, is it too much money? I don't think so. I mean, they've, they've got the cap space for this year. It is only a one year deal. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, but yes, the versatility he brings, the fact that you can kind of plug him in anywhere in the bottom six, really. Uh, and, and you can make it work and he'll make it work is, I think, really important. And I think that's why, you know, he's here and maybe a Ryan Donato isn't, uh, right. despite Donato maybe having more of an impact last season. Uh, I just think it's that versatility they're looking for. The fact that, you know, we, we've seen this all the time, RJ, from all the cup winning teams of the last couple decades. Right. You want those bottom six guys that are versatile, that can kind of shift around in the lineup and that are going to be consistent for you. And I think if Morgan Geeky can find that consistency and, and play to that level, he's going to be around for a long time. And I think that's what the Kraken really want is they want that kind of consistent presence down there that can shift around a little as injuries and whatnot happens, but that it's like kind of their solid foundational guy down there. And I think they really want that for Morgan Geeky. And I think most of us want that for Morgan Geeky. Uh, it's just going to be up to him to to prove it this year. Yep. If he can continue the play that he did at the end of the season, you know, with Shane and Donskoy on that line, um, you know, it could look really good, uh, this deal, because it, it could look cheaper. 1.4 is still not a lot. And given the cap space that they have, you know, they're not right up against the cap here. It, it makes sense. It, exactly. One thing, though, that makes it interesting is, what what would it do if if let's say he does play well and you have to then you know extend him again the number probably has to go up from there so all of a sudden you you might start pushing two for a bottom six guy and that's when you go eh, i don't know but that would be a very fortunate problem to have uh for i think everybody involved so uh i i'm still excited by it uh happy to have morgan back hoping that he can you know kind of find his way this year and find his footing in the nhl um Speaking of kind of NHL, guys bouncing back and forth, maybe not quite, quite finding their footing yet, we do have some Firebirds news. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what that is? Right. The Firebirds schedule was announced the other day, uh, full season schedule uh, with all the dates and everything. Not all the specific locations, though, which is interesting, um, but 
most important part of that is we know when their home opener, their true home opener is going to be. And that is December 18th against the Tucson Roadrunners uh, at Acrisure Arena, their, their brand new arena that they will be moving into in December, of course. So that's not really the start of the season. Uh, they will be playing 21 of their games before the home opener. So that's a lot uh, before you start getting these home games. Now, four of those games will be in the Seattle area. Uh, according to the press release. So we don't know exactly where. We do know when, though. They'll be on the 21st and 23rd of, of October against Abbotsford and the 28th and 29th of October against Calgary's soon-to-be-named AHL team. Uh, so those are the four games in the Seattle area. Again, don't know exactly where, uh, but they will be playing some games up well, I was going to say up here, but I'm in Southern California right now, uh, up in, Se in Seattle. So uh, that'll be interesting to have them around. Yeah, it will. I think it's going to be kind of cool for everybody to, to be able to see them and, and get kind of the first look at them really before their arena opens up more down here. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where these games are played. Like I know a lot of people speculated Climate Pledge when it all kind of first came out, but obviously a big kind of downtown focused place like that. It's not normal totally to see uh, AHL games in a situation like that. What was scheduling between the NHL team and then any sort of concerts or events happening uh, at a place like Climate Pledge Arena. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if it, if they go to the WHL barns, kind of like we saw the Kraken do preseason-wise last year and stuff. Like I think that could kind of be cool, kind of get them around to the different areas, let different... Um, you know, groups of the fan base see them. I think that would be kind of fun. But isn't it just wild, RJ, that the AHL, you know, their season basically starts the same time as the NHL, all this stuff, but you've got, like, teams without whole locations, like you said, with Calgary. Like, we just don't really know what's going on with that. You've got this situation where, you know, there's just up in the air where these games, these scheduled games are going to be played. Like, it's it's just fun. It is. It's a wild situation. And it feels like you're always getting stuff like that, you know, in the AHL and, and kind of the further, you know, down in leagues you go in hockey and, and really just respect the people who make the schedules, who are in charge of the logistics for these teams. Uh, it is not an easy task, uh, but they do a good job of it. Exactly. So uh, it's going to be fun to, to see how all that stuff shakes out and uh, get some stuff more set in stone so we can, you know, see about seeing the firebirds up in the greater seattle area and all that kind of stuff i'm, I'm really so uh stoked for it last kind of bit of our like quick hit segment here at the beginning of the podcast rj before we dive into the the more main topics and that is the welcome to the nhl video that was posted about shane wright now i unfortunately was not able to see it before we recorded this but you were so why don't you tell everybody about it Yes. Yeah, so welcome to the NHL. Uh, it was a cool, I think, 45 minute or so, uh, you know, little kind of documentary type thing about the draft and following some of the top prospects in the draft. Of course, that includes Shane Wright, other guys like Yuri Slavkovsky and Logan Cooley. Uh, and it was a cool kind of behind the scenes look at, uh, you know, the draft process and following some of the prospects there. I would recommend uh, watching it if you haven't already uh, it's on ESPN plus it's on YouTube uh, so you know pretty accessible especially uh, you know being on YouTube um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know Shane Wright and and kind of that that process of falling to four because we got to see a few more things behind the scenes that we hadn't really seen before or on the draft day uh, broadcast so uh, it starts actually with the players in their draft rooms, which is really, I mean, not the draft, you know, their, their hotel rooms with their family, which is really cool to see. Um, I got to give a shout out to the geeky uh, hotel room with the family. It was so fun watching the geeky family. You know, they're kind of making jokes with each other and all this laid back. Uh, you know, Connor's talking about how he tied his tie himself and Morgan's like, yeah, how many tries did it take you? <laughs> <Like>, Two. <laughs> um, so I like all that. Um but you really did get the sense watching it that Shane Wright felt that he was going to go first overall um, and that that was kind of the expectation there. And even arriving in Montreal with all the fans, he seemed kind of just ready to you know, embrace that city and join the team and everything. You kind of got the sense that's where he felt he was going. And then it, it kind of cuts to him after every pick where he's not taken. 
it kind of cuts to Shane Wright and you can see his reaction, which is very interesting going through it. Um, you know, after the first pick, Slavkovsky, the big surprise, uh, you know, it cuts to Wright and he's like, well, you know, looking forward to playing those guys. Uh, he turns to his dad and says that. Um, after the second pick, you know, Nemitz, he turns to his dad again, circle those dates on the calendar, eh? <laughs> so I like it. You know, he's already kind of thinking about those two teams. And then, what I found the most interesting, though, is when you get up to the Arizona pick and his dad's kind of turning to him and asked, you know, you OK, you doing all right? And he said, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm actually I'm really happy. Like at Arizona, I'm happy with that. And so he seemed like really kind of content to go to Arizona. And then, of course, after they pick Logan Cooley, you know, his dad asked him, you know, you all right again? He said, you know, that hurts. That one hurts. Um so you could tell there was some real disappointment there, you know, in, in falling to four in, in the moment. And, and of course, why wouldn't there be right? Um, you know, you kind of plan to go first and, and falling to fourth. But I thought that was really interesting. Also, his dad, you know, the message kind of changing. Uh, his dad was talking about wanting to just show how proud of him he is and all this with the first pick. But he's like, you know, as he fell, that message kind of had to change. And it was it's not about where you go or like when you go. It's about where you go and what you do there. Um, and I thought that was just a really great message from his dad, kind of having to adjust things on the fly. Um, and so I, I just liked hearing that from him. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to see kind of all the, the emotion from Shane Wright. Uh, definitely, you know, you could tell how he felt about everything in the time. But, um, you know, personally, I love that. Like, he, this is not a guy who's coached and robotic like a lot of these other top five picks you'll see. He shows how he's feeling, and I and I just love that about him. So um, that was kind of my takeaway from it. I know you didn't necessarily see it, but after hearing that, you know, what do you think about the reactions after the picks and and kind of you know what we've seen from Shane Wright? Yeah, my my two uh, like immediate reactions is one: you always wonder what these teams told him and and told the other prospects and stuff, right? Like the the idea of the mindset of kind of going in like you were first, like what was Montreal telling him? Right up and up until that that point in time, um, you know what was Arizona telling him? Right, if he was like, oh, like okay, like this is this could work and all this stuff, like you wonder what they said and about you know, hey man, if you're there, you're our guy or whatever. And then obviously things change. You can't ever take any of that like really to heart. I think uh, you know a million prospects have learned that to this point in time. Um, but that that's the first thing that came to mind for me. And then the second thing was just kind of like you were saying, I want somebody with that emotion. And I want somebody who's going to be disappointed when something doesn't work out for them and then take that disappointment and turn it into, you know, positives drive. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of energy to go out there and, and prove that, you know what, I did deserve to be that first pick. And I'm going to make these three other teams regret it. Show that they made the wrong pick. Like our three wrongs make a right shirt that uh, you can get a link in the YouTube description below. Um, well done, Dylan. Plugging the merch. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I have always liked that. I think for me, I've always wanted, you know, competitive players on my team. Like, why wouldn't you? The, at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want the guys that are going to go out there and, and try to leave it all on the ice. In this case, um, I will always go back to when Cam Newton lost the Super Bowl. And he was basically way too emotional to talk to the media. And the media freaked out by that. But I'm like, I'm sorry. If, I, if my quarterback just loses the Super Bowl, I would rather him be crying and too emotional to talk about it than just be like, yeah, you know, we went out there and we tried our hardest and we just couldn't get it done. It's like, no, because that tells me he's not thinking that's the biggest game of his life. I want them thinking that's the biggest game of their life. So I'm always OK with the emotional athletes and the competitive athletes and the ones that want to prove, you know, that they have that chip on their shoulder after an event like this. Um that Shane Wright had to go through, like falling through the draft. So, uh, I'm I'm excited to hear it, and I can't wait to watch it when I have a sec. Yep. All right. So on to kind of the two 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 and a half ish major topics we have for this week's deep dive. RJ, uh, the mostly you know they both center around uh, some new additions to the Kraken franchise. Um, first one, not necessarily a player. Uh, well, for sure not a player, I should say. Anymore. And that's, yes. And that's uh, Eddie Olchek joining uh, the broadcasting team and maybe the front office. It's kind of like, <laughs> uh, we'll find out. But um, this one really surprised me 
him coming in. Like I just, he's been in Chicago forever. I just think of him as being the Chicago guy. I think a lot of people probably assumed that's just where he was going to spend the rest of time really. Right. And so I was, I was really, really surprised, but in a good way to see that Eddie Olchek's going to be coming over to help cover uh, the Seattle Kraken. Nobody really saw this coming, right? Until the news broke. I certainly didn't. I had to do a double take you know, to make sure it wasn't some kind of fake report or whatever. But uh, yeah, Eddie Olchek uh, coming to the Kraken. Uh, the exact details aren't confirmed as far as how this is going to work, of course, because the Kraken kind of already had a full broadcasting crew. You wonder, where's the space? Uh, but it does sound like it'll be a three-man broadcasting crew. Uh, JT will still be involved, which is great to hear. You know, I know that was kind of the first worry I had once I kind of settled down and really started thinking, okay, what does this mean? Uh, but yeah, so we not confirmed, but I would have to imagine it probably means JT is maybe moving between the benches down at ice level uh, and Olchek will be doing color commentary. That's my best guess right now. Don't know that for sure. Uh, but looking at it a little bit more, it, it does make some sense why Olchek would want to come to Seattle. I mean, the first thing that I thought of, of course, was the family ties to Seattle. Uh, you know, his brother Ricky is an assistant GM with the Kraken. His son Eddie is an amateur scout in Seattle. So uh, he already kind of has probably a pretty good read on the organization, has a couple family members there. Um, so it makes sense, you know, from that perspective. Um, we know that the Kraken broadcast has not been shy about going out and trying to get top tier talent when it's available, you know, bringing in John Forslund last year. Uh, and it uh, sounds like his Olchek's contract is five years guaranteed, something the Blackhawks were not willing to do. Um, now, the interesting thing, though, out of this report, because I listened to this uh, to, you know, a podcast that really went into good detail about it from the Chicago media. Uh, Olchek, quote, may be involved in decision making on some level with the Seattle front office. So that's an interesting twist there. Uh, you know, with, with the front office, he doesn't really have any, uh, you know, front office experience. He had a brief stint as an NHL uh, coach, which, uh, you know, didn't go all that well, but you know, it, Dylan, how do you feel about Olchek being potentially involved in the front office? Because when I hear that, red flags kind of start popping up for me. You know, for someone who's been in the game quite a bit, but doesn't really have any actual front office experience, might we have another Pierre Maguire situation on our hands? Please tell me we won't, Dylan. I, I don't think we will. I think there is, you know, one and only one Pierre Maguire. Uh, so I think I <laughs> think we got sure. I think we got that going for us. But yes, otherwise it's kind of like an eerily similar, you know, track record as far as career progression. There, um, I'm I've just been trying to think like I can't think of ever a point in time in which that's happened, where a broadcaster has also potentially been involved with front office decisions. Like, I, I just can't ever think of any I cannot example. think of another example. Yeah, it's, I it's, can't either. It's really it feels like a conflict of interest, doesn't it? Well, in some ways. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, not in the sense that ultimately his livelihood depends on the team being good. So whether it's broadcasting right, but... or front office. So I don't know. Like, he's not going to be in charge of his own contract, I would think. So... No, I mean, but as far as, you know, just kind of commentary and wanting to paint things in a positive light, I know broadcasters already have somewhat of an incentive to do that anyway. You know, it's it's not like you need them to be involved in the front office to be a homer, but uh, I don't know. It just feels like a, an extra little something. I, I was going to say, because of the nature of how those contracts work for the, like, television broadcasters involved with the team and stuff, I mean, they're walking around wearing the team merchandise, right? Like, they're they're not really the media because mm -hmm. they're they're broadcasters contracted with the team like there's there's already something there um so that you know what i mean like they're the only people when we're there at the at the media events right rj like they're the only ones there wearing seattle kraken merchandise and stuff like yeah aside from yeah like the, the writers for the t you know bob condor and stuff yeah yeah well i've seen him wearing some too sometimes yeah uh so yeah so it, it, that's what i'm saying like all the people like associated with the team that way somehow contractually tied to the team even if it's through like a root intermediary like they're already kind of all one unified block to begin with so i don't know that it's it's not like he's like a third-party media person who's also then going to be involved then i would be like okay that's more of a conflict of interest um this is just talking about really commentating right it's just talking about yeah. stuff as it happens so i don't know that it, that there's necessarily that um 
yeah, it's it's just weird because you have the coaching stint in Pittsburgh that didn't do all that well. He was there at the beginning of of uh, he was fired, you know, shortly into the season uh, when they first got Crosby coming out of the lockout there. Um, uh, I'll talk about like the, the Crosby audibles thing later that kind of goes into some of that. But bottom line, his expectations were ridiculously high in that scenario, and he kind of paid the price for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just been a, a, a broadcaster. Like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I'm happy to have him as a broadcaster. An excellent one at that. Yeah. Yeah. He's been fantastic. Him and Doc were fantastic for years at making that transition from Versus to NBC Sports Network. I mean, that was huge. Having him there for, for so much of that, I think, was a big deal to the success and the growth of the sport on a more national scale. He was very much involved in that. Uh, I'm happy about that. Uh, you know, we we get like the best horse racing slash hockey commentator guy <laughs> around. That's kind of cool. But as far as how things are going to shake out with him and JT and stuff, yes, I agree. It makes the most sense to send JT down to be between the glass. At first, I thought, well, maybe Eddie will do that just because maybe that's something different. Maybe that's something that intrigues him, too, to be more ice level and, and to communicate with the coaches and, the, and the, the players and stuff in that capacity. He seems like the kind of guy that that would like really get him going and, and jazz him up a little bit. Um, but I also think that that's probably more so where JT should shift. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as things, I mean, JT did a phenomenal first season being the color guy up in the booth, but there were times where, you know, I don't want to say dead air, but where he would keep his answers short or something or or John would send him something and you'd maybe just get like a, mm-hmm, you know, rather than like kind of a, a more thorough analysis of a situation or a, a commentary or even a story or something like that. And so um, those were the kinds of things that I wanted to see more of from JT because I know he's capable of doing that. And I wanted to see that worked into the broadcast. But if if the feeling is, you know, within route that that they don't know about that, then obviously Eddie is like the perfect person to bring in to be opposite someone like like John. So um, it, it's going to be interesting how it all shakes out. But I could see it also where they kind of they switch. I, I could see that, too. Yeah, it, the the root broadcast has been quite creative, I think, about showcasing all the talent that they have. I mean, in my opinion, they already had the deepest lineup in of any NHL broadcast, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, between John and JT, you know, Everett and, and Allison, mm-hmm. you know, they and they did things in a way that kind of showcased everyone's talent. They kept everyone happy and you know, they did rotate things around. They weren't afraid to be creative with that stuff. So I could see them doing something like that again. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see how all that stuff shakes out. But the bottom line is, I think this is a good thing. I think it's going to help uh, the broadcast as a whole. He he will in, improve it, even though there wasn't much to improve to begin with. Uh, just having him him around, the connections he has, all that kind of stuff. I just think that having someone like that, you know, in the booth, in the room, in the building, all of that, it it does add to things. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to 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 hearing it. Me too. And for, you know, like me, I get to spend a lot of time around, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the root broadcast and everything. I'm excited to see just, you know, his takeaways, even from watching practices, from watching morning skates. You get lots of kind of wisdom just being around these people every day. And I'm sure that, he, you know, it's going to be no exception with him. Exactly. So it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see what old Edzo can bring to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, how it all shakes out in the broadcasting booth and, and what that kind of cryptic front office stuff might uh, might mean. Uh, but that was not the only addition to the Seattle Kraken family, RJ. Uh, we did get a player, Columbus, you know, surprise winners of the Johnny Gaudreau sweepstakes. Uh, I, I was hoping that was going to mean Patrick Laine might be available. Patrick Laine re-signs, which meant somebody had to go. There had to be a cap casualty. And Ron Francis was there to take advantage of it by getting us Oliver Bjorkstrand, fabulous player, really excited to talk about him. But I know you've just been dying to talk about what an amazing move this was by Ron Francis. I have, and I am so happy. I have waited for over a year for this day to come. The first Kraken trade that actually weaponizes cap space. Finally, it is here and it is glorious. This is what cap space allows you to do. You can get a play driving, scoring top six winger for peanuts, really. I mean, the Kraken acquired Oliver Bjorkstrand for Calgary's third round pick and Winnipeg's fourth round pick, both of them in the 2023 draft. I mean, that is a piece of the return for Cali Yarncroke and uh, the return for Mason Appleton at the deadline last year. Uh, 
essentially nothing for a, for a player of Bjorkstrand's caliber. Uh, and this is the kind of roster management stuff that I, I have been critical of Ron Francis for not doing in the past. But hey, there's never a bad time to start. I absolutely love this deal. It is fantastic value. In Ron, we trust. <laughs> for feeling it very strongly right now. Um, so, of course, I'm going to love to talk about the roster construction stuff, you know, where he fits in. That's that's my kind of specialty, and I'm so thrilled that they finally weaponized cap space. But, Dylan, I know everyone listening is going to want to know, what kind of player are the Kraken getting in Bjorkstrand? So, you follow the Portland Winterhawks, his former junior team, very closely. You've got some history with the organization. I know Bjorkstrand someone you're familiar with. Please, tell us all about Oliver Bjorkstrand. Who are we? Who are we getting? Yeah, so like you kind of said before, he's he's a play-driving winger. He can play both wings, which I think is going to be really nice for the Kraken. Uh, he did that both in Portland and in, in the NHL so far. Um, uh, well, gosh, where to start? Uh, he was just like the, like you know, really Portland's top player for a little while while I was um, working as a scout with them. Uh, so I have lots of, you know, good feelings towards him there. I saw him drafted. Uh, that was an exciting moment. The, the big takeaways for me is this guy is the son of a coach. So, you know, his hockey smarts and stuff are there. I guess the fact that he played for the Winterhawks should also say that too. Uh, we've talked about that in the past. Um, but his positioning is excellent. He's always in a spot to create offense. He's really good at reading the players around him and reacting to where they are. Uh, this is a guy that's going to feast on any sort of... Um, leaky shot that gets through a goalie but doesn't totally go in he's always in good spots to jump on those he's always in great spots to jump on rebounds especially on power plays that's kind of like one of his things he likes to play in the slot a lot and he's really good about you know reading about whether or not he needs to be high in the slot at that moment or low in the slot and i've i've seen kind of breakdown videos with him where he's talked about this and he just you know it's just a gut feel for him kind of thing but it works out more than it doesn't so uh, i always love players like that um, the biggest thing for me, for him, is that he's always played bigger than he is. He's listed right now on NHL.com as being six foot, 177 pounds, which is obviously not very heavy, not very big. But because he has good lower body strength and ultimately because he's, you know, I'm sure being the son of a coach helped with this. He understands how to use his body and how to create leverage with his body to protect the puck. He always keeps his body between himself. You know, he always keeps his body between the puck and defenders. They're trying to trying to get it. That's what allows him to play bigger than he does because he does drive the net. He will kind of go around guys and and kind of through them. He can't totally go through them the way a traditional power forward would, but he does know how to protect the puck and build speed, use his edge work, all that kind of stuff to get around just about anybody. So if you look up any sort of highlight tape from him in Columbus, you'll see a lot of his stuff is him working in tight around the net. His hands are really good there. It's him driving to the net. Uh, even if it's not him just like trucking through somebody and um, and it, and it's just really exciting and a lot of instances of him protecting the puck to then get into a position where he can do something with it and so I'm happy to have a player like that because I think you know everything is always made of size especially this time of year at the draft we saw the smaller maybe more skilled wingers fall this year again uh, just like he fell in his draft year uh, because size was such a concern with him and the, his ability to add weight. And here we are many years post-draft and he's still only 177 pounds. But this is a guy that's been right on the cusp of being a 30-goal scorer because he can protect the puck and he can hang with bigger players just because he's smart about how he uses his body. And so I like that we're going to not only get a player who can do that, but hopefully get a player who can do that and can teach those around him that we saw at development camp, the AHL coaches, the day they ran session, everything was about puck protection and body positioning and all that stuff with the young players. Bjorkstrand's a model example of that. And so I, I hope he can kind of come in and, and bring some of that with him. The last thing I'm going to say, RJ, is I talked about him, you know, twice now kind of almost being on track for 30 goals in the NHL. And, and obviously that's going to be great bit of offense to add to the Seattle Kraken. But the last thing I want to talk about is he's a consistent overachiever when it comes to expected goals and how many goals he actually scores. His expected goal numbers are always lower and in some, some seasons significantly lower than the actual amount of goals he scores. And that isn't because of insanely inflated, like, um, shooting percentages, right? Like he'll shoot like 13%, which is high, but that's not like 
crazy. And certainly when he does mm-hmm. it for like four years in a row, you can say, okay, that's, that's reasonable for somebody to do. Um, and so I, I just want to bring that up because I think a lot of that has to do with his ability to kind of just solo it at times where he can just drive the net. He can protect the puck and get to a position where he's going to actually score a goal in a way that isn't really traditional. And it isn't necessarily one that, um, you know, the analytics and the high danger chances and all that stuff can take into account, um, especially because his, the the one thing that also looks a little different and makes me think it's more him than obviously the people around him is his on ice expected goals percentage is actually higher than his on ice goals percentage, mm. which seems counterintuitive to what I was just saying about him outscoring his expected goals. But that tells me it was, he was not like a system, a, a product of the system in Columbus. And he was not a product of playing with, you know, a Patrick line or something. This tells me if anything, his line mates in Columbus were actually, keeping him down a little bit. <laughs> and so uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he slots in, in uh, Seattle. We'll talk about that in a moment, but those are just the, the things that I get excited about bringing in this player, this player that I have, I have, you know, a little bit of history with and that I've watched for a long time and why I think he's going to be so much uh, fun and such a good addition for the Seattle Kraken. You know, thank you so much for the insight there, because I know you've, you've seen a lot more of him in play than I have. One thing I did want to ask you about, though, before we talk about kind of where he fits in the lineup, is his shot. And I know you talked mm-hmm. about the scoring kind of being a result of him getting to those good places and everything. But when I watch him, some of the highlights, and I remember this, you know, pretty vividly from the Blue Jackets Kraken game last year, his release. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those that just kind of will like buzz up by the goalie's ears, you know, yeah. before the goalie can even react to it. I mean, what's you know, how, how does he make that happen? What's special about that release? Cause he's got something there. He's able to score from spots that other guys just aren't able to. Right. He scores a lot from really high up in the, in the slot too. Like, like from mm-hmm. far away, he's, he's, it's unique. And it's just because of how quick it is. That's the bottom line is it's, it's all about the quick release. There's almost no indication that he's going to shoot before he shoots. So there's nothing really for a goaltender to key in on. And that's, you know, and then the, his ability and strength to get so much zip on it without needing a lot of, you know, lead into it or anything, his ability just to quick release it and get elevation, especially on it, like you talked about, that's just special. And that's just something that some people have goal scorers have and and other people don't. So yeah, it's a combination of goaltenders and even defensemen not necessarily knowing when he's going to shoot. And then his ability just to get that shot off really quick. Uh, before a goaltender can fully react to it, before they can get the glove up all the way or, or get the blocker up all the way. And, and you know, we've, I've talked about this during the scouting videos and, and through other things, right? What's the goaltender's first reaction when they see the shot coming? It's just to drop in a butterfly that naturally lowers their arms a little just because that's the overall motion. It's Most goaltenders don't keep their arms up as they drop, right? And so when you have a quick release like that and there's nothing to to notify the goaltender that you are going to be shooting at that particular moment. They're just seeing the shot come off. They're immediately dropping. And because he can get so much elevation on it without it necessarily being like super fast, like it's not like, like the fastest or scariest looking wrist shot. It's just that he can get elevation with basically no telegraphing of the shot itself. Um, It's just able to beat guys high consistently because they just can't, they're just not prepared for it really. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, because it seems like a heck of a shot. And that's that's a good breakdown of of exactly kind of how that happens. Yeah, exactly. So now let's go ahead and talk about where he can fit into the lineup, Um, because I I think that's, uh, you know, the most interesting aspect of all of this really is is what he's going to bring, because I think he really helps round out the top six now for the Kraken. Um, You went ahead and, and did like kind of our post free agency um, projected lineup. So why don't you go ahead and talk about what you have there. I'll put it up on screen for anybody watching on YouTube. And why don't you go ahead and, and talk about um, the, the moves you made here. So I went ahead and did a admittedly way too early projected Kraken lineup. Still very early. A lot could happen. We got all training camp, but I thought it would be fun uh, to kind of map out after all these moves, how it might look for the Kraken on opening night. Uh, so up here I have... Uh, Bjorkstrand as right wing on the second line with Yanni Gord and Jared McCann. Uh, but 
a lot of different possibilities here. My my thinking here was I was basing it off of the the top line with Matty Beniers and, and who he's going to play with. I think Burakovsky would be a great fit with him, uh, just given the offensive creativity. And then I kind of like the chemistry that Beniers had with Jordan Eberle at the end of last season. Uh, so that would have Bjorkstrand as, the, as kind of the second line right wing here. But I could see Bjorkstrand and Eberle switching spots. Uh, I think it would be fine for him to get, you know, he's already a top six winger on this team, you know, getting first line minutes, I think would be fine for him. It would also create the, uh, you know, the killer bees line of Mm -hmm. Burakovsky, Beniers and Bjorkstrand that people uh, did talk about. And I know they, some of people wanted that on the projected lineup. Hopefully we'll get to see that at some point. Um, But you're right. He really does round out the, the group of wingers. I think they were kind of one guy short really to have proper depth. Uh, and scoring depth at the wing uh, before this trade. Uh, You look at the Burakovsky signing, that helps. Uh, But still, looking at the forwards, you think there's just not enough goal scoring here to really kind of even contend for a playoff spot. You're not adding enough over what you had last season. And I think Bjorkstrand and his, you know, almost 30 goals, that helps a lot there. And it also helps, you know, bump a guy like maybe, you know, Jaden Schwartz, down to the third line and, and he can really take advantage of some matchups here. We've got him on the third line helping out, you know, Shane Wright. And then maybe with Jonas Donskoy, who hopefully will have a bounce back season. Um, and it even allows you to, you know, maybe put a guy like Brandon Tanev on the fourth line to really feast on those matchups. You know, he can definitely be a third line player, but it all of a sudden it looks like the Kraken really have some depth here. Yeah, no, it, it does. This to me is, is the move that kind of solidified, certainly the forward aspects of the roster. Um, I'm really excited by it. And there's just a lot of stuff to, to work with here and to talk about. I mean, for one, there's the connection between Bjorkstrand and Alexander Wenberg from their times in Columbus playing with each other. Um, and I think that that's a good matchup. They're both more cerebral players. They, they can, you know, they're smart guys that can hang with each other. That's also why I'm excited to see Bjorkstrand with Maddie. I think Bjorkstrand, a headier guy, smarter guy, kind of gets into good positions where he's open a lot. Um, That's one of the things he wants to do, you know, be open in the slot, be open in front of the net, be there for those rebounds. Like I was saying, we know just from a 10 game sample size that Matty Beniers loves players like that. And he will find them as he's doing his little circling through the zone, stick handling, making everybody look stupid kind of thing. He'll be able to, he'll, he'll see Bjorkstrand and he'll get him, you know, he'll suck in that last defender to get Bjorkstrand totally open. And then he'd be able to get him the puck. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of guys that Bjorkstrand can play with. I'm excited to see that, and I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. I personally want to see the Killer Bees type setup. I think that he's maybe a better fit with with Maddie than Eberle. Um, and I, I don't know. That's like I said, it's just more of just like a stylistic thing there for me. The the kind of more cerebral elements of it. But yes, I mean now we're looking at this roster, RJ. Let's let's talk about like legitimate 20 goal scorers on this roster. Burkowski, Baneers, Bjorkstrand, McCann. I think Eberle can still be that guy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever going to be the 30-goal guy again. And really, he only was once in a very long career at this point. I think expectations. We talked about this at the beginning of last season. Remember, <laughs> I was like, look, the guy's not good on the power play. I don't know. He's, there's there's stuff there. Um, the expectation's always a little high. But I think he could still be a 20-goal scorer. I think Yanni's a 20-goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, you put enough. For, you put him in the right role. Put the people around him. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to be in a top six capacity. I think we're going to see a lot more of like traditional ice time management from the crack in this season, rather than <laughs> oh, we're just going to roll three lines at fifteen minutes each and see what happens, kind of thing. You know, um, I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see Yanni in a proper top six role, and I think we'll see him get to twenty goals. And then I think Jaden Schwartz contributing on the power play and stuff, in addition to feasting on those third line matchups, could be a twenty goal scorer. Obviously, there's injury concerns with him, as there always is with him. But, you know, I could see it happening. So all of a sudden, you're talking about the Kraken having seven 20-goal scorers, which puts them right in line with, you know, better teams around the NHL. Yeah, it does. And like I said, we finally have some of the scoring depth if things work out well. And what I also like is the flexibility here. I was trying to make this projected lineup, and there were so many different options that I could work with that all looked very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, you know, uh, Wenberg, Schwartz, and Eberly. That was one of the top lines if you look at, you know, expected goals percentage uh, from from last season. You could reunite that if you want. Uh, Wenberg and Bjorkstrand together too. I mean, uh, Wenberg, he's kind of listed here just as as the four C, but I think there's a lot more useful spots for him 
I just didn't want to list maybe Shane Wright as the four C because I just don't yeah. think he's he's going to be there and he shouldn't be there. Uh, but it also gives you possibilities if you do want to sh send Shane Wright back down to junior for another season. That, who knows? That might be best for his development. We've talked about this as a mm -hmm. possibility. And all of a sudden now you're kind of able to do that and you don't really sacrifice a whole lot, uh, you know, in terms of scoring. And with them, you know, re-signing Geeky earlier today, you know, he kind of slots in as the four C and you, you've got two solid lines here, you know, in your second and third with Yanni Gordon, Alexander Wenberg, and, and you can kind of throw the wings on there, you know, depending on how the chemistry goes. I actually really like the idea of that line kind of being together. I think that would be a really effective, you know, it, it depends on if you want the Yanni line to be the third line or not. But I think if you had a line of, of Schwartz, Wenberg, Eberle as your third line, like that would be a really effective third line. You have kind of your peak scoring line with Burakovsky, Beniers, Bjorkstrand, and then you could have Yanni, McCann, and Tanev together as the other kind mm -hmm. of line like maybe that's not the best second line you could have uh but it would it would certainly be an effective line and teams aren't going to score on it that's for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah no I, I do like that idea yeah uh but i think the biggest thing with bjorkstrand and i think this is bigger with bjorkstrand than it even was for burakovsky is what he's going to be able to bring to the power play because he's a smart player, he's been a trigger man on a power play. He's been the slot guy, the bumper position on a power play. I think he could be net front on a power play if you wanted him to. And I think he could kind of be in that Yanni setup role, kind of half being the trigger man, half being the setup man. I think Bjorkstrand could be really good in that kind of spot as well. So um, I think Bjorkstrand's going to make more of an impact on the power play than just about any addition they added. Uh, the crack in this season, with the exception of maybe, you know, Maddie, obviously just being the best player. But uh, I think Bjorkstrand is going to help out the power play a lot. And his versatility on the power play, his ability to play different spots is going to help out a lot, uh, even more so than than somebody like Burakovsky. Yeah, and I think it comes down to the versatility, just all the different spots you can put him in. And the Kraken are going to have a lot of decisions to make as far as what they want to do with their top power play unit. But one thing that's for sure is it's going to look very different from last season. And given what the results were last season, I think that's a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll really kind of get a sense now of, okay, is it the coaching or was it the lack of talent? I mean, you were getting to the end of the season where, no offense, Dylan, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to call you out here, but Victor Rask was on the first unit mm -hmm. power play. That's not an ideal situation. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think we can admit at this point. Um, so, yeah, that extra talent is hopefully going to help out quite a bit there. Uh, question for you, though. Ultimately, where would you want to see him? Let's we, we've done our projected lines here. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking for the top power play unit? If you kind of had to come up with it right now, what would you try first? Um, I would probably go Maddie for sure. Um, I, I would probably have a setup where I would have Bjorkstrand kind of playing more where Yanni was playing. So, you know, on the on the right side, if you're kind of looking at it all facing mm -hmm. up, right? So I'd have Bjorkstrand over on the right side. I'd have Maddie as kind of the floating center um, going around. Uh, I'd have McCann out there um, either playing the left side or I liked him kind of in that more back position where he was almost like mm -hmm. a defenseman. I really liked that going on. And to be honest, I'd probably put Schwartz out there as my fourth forward just to play net front if he can. Interesting. Because um, we know, like, when Schwartz decides to be a net front presence, he can be. I think there were times last year that for whatever reason he was, uh, you know, parallel to the net rather than in front of it. And I, I don't know what that was about. But if if but you need a net front guy in this, and I don't think that's where you want Burakovsky. Um Right. So, and that's the one question mark I really have with the power play is net front. The only guy who really seemed to be a natural kind of fit there last season was Marcus Johansson. It, uh, yes. And he's certainly not back. So we'll have to see who can step up and fill that role. Brandon Tanev was going to be the other name. Is if Schwartz isn't mm. going to do it, you put Brandon Tanev there and Brandon Tanev will do it. Yeah. How fun would that be if that works? Yeah. And then you got, I guess, Vince Dunn on the back end, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk but about you know what? quarterback. I almost wonder if this works out in a way where you could have, you can have Burakovsky out there and you just have Maddie as the quarterback. Like nothing says, like, why not go five forwards? That would be so fun. And, and you know, Maddie is responsible enough probably yeah. to make that work. Um, and he's got the vision. He likes to kind of work up high. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why not give it a try? Right. And you have, like we said, you know, McCann kind of hangs out. He plays higher up on the power play, too. He's an excellent defender, too. So, if, you know, something starts really going bad to have Maddie back as, you know, 
a, a great defender in his own right and then McCann being the next guy in, you'd be okay. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think so. And it's the kind of thing, too, that I love to see because uh, thinking back to like a year ago before the Kraken had played a game and you know, it was talk, all this talk, you know, they're, they're one of the smartest, you know, organizations in the league. They're very innovative. I still think they have that in them. Mm-hmm. You know, after the first season with not a lot of on-ice success, you know, that kind of loses its luster a little bit. But this is the kind of thing that you would imagine them doing like, wow, they go five forwards on a power play and make it work because, you know, it. It can work like we, we've yeah. seen this in some of the analytics like you don't have to be scared of this sort of thing. So I, why not be bold and give it a try? Yeah. And then one of the fun video ideas I had for August for us to do RJ is just I because I've been kind of thinking about it is me just coming mm-hmm. up with alternatives to the ever present one three one power play that I just can't stand. Uh, and so we'll we'll do a video talking power play strategies about that sometime over the next month. I'll I'll present all of them to you, and you can give me your thoughts on them. But oh, that'll be fun. But I really want to get away from it because I don't think that it's effective, and I don't think it was effective last year. Certainly with the personnel the Kraken had, or the or kind of the plays they designed around it were, were not effective. Clearly, we all know that. Um, but I think having five forwards out there with this group could could really work. Have Burakovsky on the right side, Bjorkstrand in the bumper. Tan of Schwartz, somebody net front, McCann kind of on that left side playing a little high, and then Maddie back. Like, I, I think that would look really, really nice. Yeah, agreed. All right. So, uh, any other lineup stuff you want to talk about? I don't think Bjorkstrand's going to be a PK guy for the team, but this lineup really doesn't need anybody else. They got so many options. No, they are they are stacked on the PK, especially uh, you know Yanni Donskoy, Carson Kuhlman coming back, Brandon Tanev. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be, be great. Yeah, and Maddie, yeah, it should be a great, great PK on paper. You don't need Bjorkstrand for that. No, so I'm just excited to to bring in another uh, score. I mean, I saw somebody referencing on the Discord, right? Bjorkstrand had 57 points last year. Did McCann lead the team with 50? Yep. So you get a guy who had more points than any Kraken player last season uh, for a third and a fourth round pick. And I guess what, you know, while we're on that, I just want to touch on how little leverage the Blue Jackets had as I'm reading about this. Yeah. You know, when you're over the cap like that and hearing their GM Yarmo kick line and talk about it, uh, it, it's easy for you and I to be like, oh, well, you could just move Nyquist or someone else. Teams aren't all that willing to just kind of help you out for a player that that they don't view as especially valuable. And I think Nyquist probably didn't have a ton of value. Right. Um, you're going to have to wave a player like Bjorkstrand out there where, yeah, okay, I'll help you out of your cap jam because I'm getting a player like this yeah. you know, and, and for not very much. So these are the kind of situations that I, I'd love to see the Kraken take advantage of, you know, that I would have hoped more for earlier, but glad to see it now. Uh, and that hopefully when they have some more cap flexibility going forward, they continue to do. Right, and uh, we'll just talk about his contract real quick. He's got four years left on his contract. He's 27, so his contract's going to expire when he's 31, 32. So that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that's good, a great range good, to get. Good, yeah. good range. And it's uh, for $5.4 million per year is the, is the cap hit, which, again, for a guy that's been hovering right around becoming a 30-goal scorer now for a couple seasons, I think that's totally appropriate. Um, and it's and it's very good value for the Kraken. The term is excellent. He's right there in his prime years. All that stuff's good. He does have a modified no trade clause, so we'll just put that out there. It's a ten team list. Uh, it's one of those. Um, but the the thing I will say, and because th- this is something I was uh, you know arguing, debating, preaching, whatever you want to call it, on the Discord with people when it came to. Uh, both the idea of bringing in Klingberg or certainly with Nazem Kadri is when I got really passionate about this idea, which is, no, you want to keep cap flexibility. You want to be patient. And, and maybe this speaks to, you know, me also maybe not being as on it as you were for the last year or so with Ron not taking advantage of this stuff is you, you got to keep the flexibility for this right moment where you're getting the best player you could really ever expect to from something like this. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there was plenty of opportunity for Ron to get players in the past using it, but they would not have been at the level of Bjorkstrand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so, and certainly if they had just gone out and spent a bunch of money on Kadri just to have, you know, someone and to do something in free agency, you would not have been able to take advantage of this, who's arguably going to be a more impactful player for you long-term uh, in, in someone like Bjorkstrand. So, um, I'm okay with the patience. Uh, that's my version of Enron Retrust, and I'm always okay with, with keeping cap room around for this flexibility stuff. It's not just about looking at free agents next year. 
It's about all the stuff that happens in between taking advantage of teams like Columbus in this case scenario or teams that all of a sudden have an RFA that doesn't want to resign with them and they have to move that RFA somewhere. Like lots of things pop up uh, over the course of an offseason and really over the course of, of the year in the NHL. So I'm always okay uh, having that cap space, being patient with it, and then pouncing on opportunities like this. Yep, and just great to see that he's willing to do it. That's all I'm saying. I know, I know. I just wanted to know that he could do it once so yep. that I can hope that he'll do it again. And he was just waiting for the right moment, the absolute yep. best time. And and, I and guess, when is the right moment? Whenever you're trading with Columbus. Basically, yeah, that's what history has taught us. And boy, got to be thinking, did you really need to give Gabranson $4 million? Yeah, that's that's the key. You don't have to do that if you don't pay Gabranson. Exactly. Oh, that contract is... Uh, just looking worse and worse by the day and it's only been a few weeks since it was signed yeah we could save this for another video we could do about gms and stuff but we're we're what like six seven years into yarmo kekalainen's tenure as gm there and i still can't figure out if he's good or not like he'll make some really savvy moves and then other times he just does stuff like this Right. And, and you, know, you have to look at this also in the grand scheme of things. If you're having to do this basically because you brought in Johnny Gaudreau. And of course you want to do that. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah. And then Branson, it's a very mixed bag with him. They had five first round picks these last two drafts. Like that's good if you're rebuilding, which is kind of where they were trending. But also now they're very much in a win now. So what's going to happen with all that? Like, yeah. it's it's all over the place. Also, yeah. Jakob Voracek contract. That's that's killing them. Well, and for every bad thing, there's the, then there's the Seth Jones trade, which was fantastic. Yeah, there's <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, deep dive on Yarmo Kekalainen. I know, that's I some, know. That's some real August content. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I think it would be fun though. Um, all right, so that's that's it. I think RJ. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, unless the Kraken have have done something yet, do we just do we just pause yeah, the recording here, RJ? Wait two hours and then see if something happens. <laughs> yeah, see that well. It would happen right after that. Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna check Twitter right now to see if anything has happened. While we're still recording, it'll be there quick. We go. Okay, uh, geeky Kraken tweeted. It's geeky again. Uh-huh. Uh, video of the ELC on the ice for Shane Wright. We knew that. Yeah. And I think that's it. All right. So then we're gonna we're gonna get done with this one just shy of the hour mark. Uh, sorry, it's not like a big long mega episode like the last couple. Uh, <laughs> as we as we get deeper into the off season, there's stuff's gonna happen less and less, and that's just what it's gonna become. Uh, but uh, uh, it's still very very exciting. And gosh, the, I mean, both of these additions, both having Eddie Olchek come in to help out the broadcasting crew and everything, and then obviously the Bjork Strand trade just so fantastic i'm just so happy and and really this off season as a whole maybe we'll maybe we'll do a grading the off season podcast soon uh when there's really nothing going on um we can talk about it all but everything taken as a whole big picture right now kraken got so much better this off season for sure i mean so much to look forward to come september and october i am really excited about where the team's heading exactly so we'll talk about all that stuff uh in future episodes but for now That's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, all that good stuff. And we will see you all next time.